In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, when God, I mean, if you allow me, I know it's a late afternoon and we have many prayers still. I know you might be hungry, but we want just to capture the day and uh, share some reflections together that might help us to celebrate the feast of one of the great saints of our church. And of course, in this chapel, beautiful chapel that uh, is in his honor, and it's the first feast day that we have in the chapel um, celebrating uh, the namesake of this chapel. So um, I'd asked Father Macarius to give the homily today, and he laughed at me, and he mocked me, so I had to put something together. But um, this week, uh, there was, um, from St. Vladimir Seminary, one of the professors there, his name is Dr. Peter Buteneff, and uh, he's a renowned author. He's actually the author of the book that the men's group is doing a study of right now. And he's also one of the professors at the seminary. And he, he delivered for Lent uh, a number of uh, re- reflections this week that were very beautiful. And one of them um, prompted me to um, begin sort of the, my reflection this evening with, uh, we have chairs in the front. You can make space for the, from Adelaide, maybe. To use something that he, um, he reflected on in one of his talks about the, the Lord Jesus Christ as one who engaged both in solitude and in compassionate service um, with a sort of back and forth throughout his ministry um, that's very beautiful as a model for our lives. And as I was listening to his reflection, I thought that this is a very good image of the life of the great saint, Pope Kirillus VI, who also, um, in imitation of our Lord Jesus Christ, he lived a life in which he went back and forth between solitude and engagement. So we'll just take something from the Gospels to begin with, um, in the Gospel of St. Luke. When the sun was setting, all those who had any with that were sick with various diseases, brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And then just after that we read, Now when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place, and the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. So we have an image of Christ. He's with the people. He's healing them. He's preaching. He's... And then... He escapes, he, he goes into solitude, and the people are trying to hang on to him. They're trying to prevent him because they, they want to remain with him. They want, they want more. So Dr. Butenev, he, he describes this cycle as what he calls encounter, engage, withdraw, and repeat. So there's an encounter, and then in that encounter, he engages with the needs of the people, and then he withdraws, And then the cycle begins again, another encounter, another engagement, another withdrawal. So this cycle, encounter, engage, withdraw, and repeat, is something that we see which characterizes the whole life of our beloved saint. From the very early years of his monastic life, we know that uh, he spent very little time in stability in one place, but after he began his monastic life, and then he was sent for theological studies at the theological school at Halwen, and his escape to St. Shenouda's monastery to avoid being ordained a bishop, 
back to the monastery in uh, seclusion in the cave and then leaving with the seven monks that were removed from the monastery to serve them, living in the windmill, living in Old Cairo, living in St. Samuel's Monastery, back at the windmill, back in Old Cairo, establishing the Church of St. Mina, as we saw in, in the biography, in the, in the Synexarium, and then eventually becoming patriarch. And as patriarch, again, we see throughout all of these phases of his life that as much as he wanted to withdraw, as much as he wanted to imitate his beloved um, patron, let's say, in monastic life, uh, Isaac the Syrian, and withdraw completely to be unknown by the world, to be hidden from everyone's eyes. Nonetheless, God kept pushing him into, into the world. God kept putting him in the lives of people. Even in, the, even in the windmill, people sought him. They heard about him. Some of us, myself, I remember my, my father's talking about his parents and grandparents who went to Father Mina in the windmill or who encountered Father Mina who was known as the one who dwelt in an abandoned windmill. So already people were, were seeking an encounter and, and, and he began to engage them. And this need of our Lord Jesus Christ is not just because he was sent on a mission. Of course, he was sent on a mission. He was doing the will of the Father. But in his humanity, in the humanity of our Lord, he, he desired both to be alone and to be with people. He himself, as, as a man, he desired time to pray and to rest, but he also desired to heal and to comfort and to engage with the needs of the world. So, for example, from a very human standpoint, we read about when our Lord Jesus Christ, when he heard about the, the beheading of St. John the Baptist, that he immediately withdrew. There's a very human element to the story. Jesus is, is brokenhearted. He's saddened. He's upset. His friend, his cousin, his, his beloved forerunner has been murdered. And his only response from a human standpoint is, leave me alone, let me go and pray, let me go in solitude, let me, let me mourn. And yet the people follow him, and he, again, in this encounter, he engages them. So, again, in the Gospel of St. Mark, in the very first chapter, it says, Now in the morning, having arisen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon, Simon Peter, and those who were with him searched for him. They couldn't find him. They were looking for him. And when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. And Dr. Butenafi says that in one translation is, everyone is hunting for you. Hunting. They're, they're trying to capture you. And you're hiding. And, you're, and even the disciples have to try to look for him. And the interesting thing, though, is that the reaction of our Lord is not one of frustration. Some of us, of course, when we want to be alone, when we want to pray, when we want to be in solitude, the reaction to being pulled out of our solitude is to be frustrated, to be annoyed, to be angered. And yet Jesus is never frustrated. And we see this in the life of Pope Carlos. He's never frustrated by the needs of the people, even though his whole life was dreaming of solitude to be alone with God. 
Again, there's a beautiful story in, the, in a book that's called All That I Have Is Yours. <laughs> Small plug. In Alexandria, there happened to be a two-year-old child who contracted acute pneumonia. His parents became very distressed, especially as he was their only child after eight years of marriage and trying to have children. When they took him to the doctor, he didn't give them any hope, and they wept bitterly. His father at that time remembered that St. Pope Kirillus VI happened to be there in Alexandria. He was determined to see the saint no matter how late it was. The parents took their son and arrived at the Patriarchate very late at night. In spite of their tears, the guard refused to let them in. However, the Pope, who was in prayer at that time, and I underlined, who was in prayer at that time, knew by the Spirit what was happening outside. He called the guard and said to him, let them in, their son is sick. The daring parents went inside crying, and the saint immediately placed the cross on the spot where the pain was before anyone even explained anything to him. He prayed and told them, don't worry, the Lord will bless him. The parents went home with profound peace, and the child's condition immediately began to improve. The next day, they took him to the doctor, and after examining the child, he smiled in astonishment and said, good news, your son had pneumonia, but now there is no trace of the disease. But again, go back to the point that I emphasized. It was late at night. The Pope was resting. He was in prayer. He was alone. He was in solitude. And he was shaken from his solitude for the needs of someone in the midst of his prayer. And he immediately reacted, not by frustration or anger or resentment, but his reaction was, of course, let them in. They have a need. So this acute attunement to the needs of others is something, an imitation of our Lord that we see very beautifully in the life of the saint. There's even times in the, in the Gospels we see that the Lords are sort of trying to protect the Lord from being disturbed. He's walking and the disciples and the crowds are perhaps quietly observing him. And there's a blind man on the side of the road who yells, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they say, shh, be quiet. Don't disturb the master. Perhaps he's praying while he's walking, praying the Psalms. Perhaps he's instructing his disciples. Perhaps he's just having some downtime. And he yells even louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, bring him to me. And we know the story, of course, that he asked him, what would you like for me to do to you? That I might see, Lord. Go your way, your faith has saved you. And the man began seeing in that moment. So there is this beautiful cycle, encounter, engage, withdraw, and repeat, as Dr. Butenev says. So we need this discernment in our lives to discover not only how to withdraw and when to engage, but also that in our time of withdrawal and in our time of solitude, that we discern that it's not for selfish reasons, that our precious alone time, our precious recharge time is not in fact a form of self-absorption or indulgence and avoidance of one another. This is very difficult. It's very difficult to discern. We need the Holy Spirit who awakened the Pope in his time of prayer to awaken us, to know 
Is my time alone now, is it what's needed? Am I, am I, in, am I in, in fact doing the will of the Lord by giving Him the time, which is absolutely necessary? The Lord didn't diminish the quality of, of solitude, but He showed us that there is a time, as the, the book of Ecclesiastes says, right? There is a time under the sun for all things. So, engage also means then that we are present in the world. Not so much because we can do miracles, or we can preach, or that we have money to give, but just by bringing the grace of our baptism into the world. The book of Proverbs says, whoever brings blessing will be enriched. And the one who waters will himself be watered. So when Jesus says that you are the light of the world, right? And he says that a light shouldn't be put under a basket. He's not talking about any specific virtue or any specific talent or charismatic gift. He's saying by virtue of the light that is in you, which you received in your baptism, which you received from the, the Eucharist. This grace is a light. And by being present in the world, you sanctify the world. You might say, poor me, sanctify the world. Yes, poor you, poor like your master, poor like the Savior, humble and compassionate and loving and present to the needs of others in whatever way they might need. As Mother Teresa always reminds us, even just a smile. I think all of us can, can smile. And so, we need solitude. We see, again, in the life of St. Mary, that she kept all these things and pondered them in her heart, in silence, in solitude. Because how can we, how can we ponder, how can we reflect, how can we count the cost, as the Gospel says, unless we are alone with God who speaks to us in the depths of our hearts. I, many, many years ago, perhaps I told you about uh, the Romanian uh, priest who is now reposed, Father Roman Braga, who was uh, a professor in the theological school. He was a monk, a priest, and then he was imprisoned by the communists. And he spent many, many years in solitary confinement and in prison. And he said that in those prison camps, you either had to go deep inside yourself to discover the place of encounter with the Lord, or you would go crazy and many would kill themselves. Even religious people who were members of the church hierarchy, such was the, the psychological torment of these prison camps. And he said that I discovered how to be a monk in the, in the solitary confinement. I discovered how to, dis how to find God in the depth he said, for me, up until this point, God was always somewhere outside of me, even as a monk, even as a professor of theology. And so this is the, the grace of solitude, is that we discover the God who calls us to love and to loving relationship with him. Father Henry Nouwen says, how do I deal with my aloneness? Because when we are alone, there is the, the risk of a holy solitude, or what we call an unholy solitude, which becomes a sort of loneliness, which is very depressing. So he says, how do I deal with my aloneness? He says, many, many people deal with it through loneliness, 
That means you experience your aloneness as a wound, as something that hurts you, makes you miserable. It makes you cry out, is there anyone who can help me? Loneliness is one of the greatest sources of suffering today. It is the disease of our time. But as Christians, we are called to convert our aloneness into solitude. We are called to experience our aloneness not as a wound, but as a gift, as God's gift, so that in our aloneness we might discover how deeply we are loved by God. It is precisely where we are most alone, most unique, most ourselves, that God is closest to us. That is where we experience God as the divine, loving Father who knows us better than we know ourselves. So solitude is, in essence, we could say, is the place in which we hear the, the voice of the Lord who says to me, I love you. I called you out of existence, out of love, and I call you into eternity out of love, and you exist for the purpose of love. And so in that experience of hearing God who calls us with that beloved uh, declaration, then I carry this with me into the world. I carry this with me even in the noise of the world, even in the distractions of the world. One of the favorite verses that Pope Krulus used to say from the Psalms, my eyes are ever looking towards the Lord, from Psalm 24 in the first hour. Not sometimes, not only when I pray my hours, not only when I stand at the altar, but my eyes are ever looking towards the Lord. So he had communion with God while he was with the people. There's a beautiful story by St. Faustina, the, the Polish nun. She uh, was living a very uh, deep mystical life in communion with the Lord Jesus Christ who was speaking to her and appearing to her something that you, would, you wouldn't want to trade anything in the world for. And yet, a, a time came when her mother was dying and the convent said, go home, spend some time to see your dying mother before, before she reposes. So she wrote in her diary the following. She said, the days at home passed in much company, meaning lots of people, as everybody wanted to see me and talk with me, because all of the family and the neighborhood friends, they, now they see her as a, as a nun. Often I could count as many as 25 people there. They listened with great interest to my accounts of the lives of the saints, it seemed to me that our house was truly the house of God, as each evening we talked about nothing but God. When tired from these talks and yearning for solitude and silence, I quietly slipped out into the garden in the evening so I could converse with God alone. Even in this, she says, I was unsuccessful. Immediately my brothers and sisters came and took me into the house again to talk, and with all those eyes fixed on me, she said, but I struck one way of getting some respite, some, some rest. She said, I asked my brothers to sing for me, inasmuch as they had lovely voices. And besides, one of them played the violin and another the mandolin. And during this time, I was able to devote myself to interior prayer without shunning their company. So she, cleverly, in a clever way, she was able to find a way to be with the, the people, and yet in her heart she was communing with God. I think this is another um, gift that Pope Krulus had, that he was with the people, but he never left God, and God never left him. His heart was always united. His eyes were ever looking to the Lord. But solitude also 
is necessary as a wound and sharing in the cross and the passion of Christ. Jesus, when he came to Gethsemane, he said to his disciples, what? My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. And he asked them, stay here and watch with me. This stay here and watch with me is not just an invitation for them. Many of the commentators on the scripture who meditate beautifully on the scriptures will say that he is inviting each one of us to stay with him in his agony, to stay with him on his journey to the cross. In other words, the cross and the suffering of Christ, he says, is not just for me, but it's for you to share with me. And just as he was alone in agony and in solitude, which was sorrowful unto death, he tells us that sometimes in our life we will have such solitude. We can think about the solitude of the mother of God, and this is maybe a, a reflection or a meditation we haven't thought of. Her solitude after the ascension. Her solitude after the ascension. Think about St. Mary who spent those 30 years in intimacy with her son as a child, as a young teenager, as a young adult, as a man. All of the intimate times they had together as mother and son, all of the times they held hands and hugged and looked into each other's eyes. And then in the ministry, of course, we see St. Mary sort of popping in and popping out of the scenes of the Gospels. I'm sure during those times that she was very happy to see her son. But what about after his ascension? Yes, it's true. The Lord said to St. John, behold your mother. And from that day, he took care of the mother of God. And for sure, the, the disciples didn't leave her. They, they, in between their missionary work, they were surrounding her. And for sure, they were going to her for her prayers and her, her advice and her motherly care for them. But we can also imagine that this was a very painful time for her, waiting apart from her son. She probably spent a lot of time finding her son in, in the Eucharist, finding consolation that she was having communion with her son through his body and his blood. But even that is of a different kind of communion, not one that, of course, is less, but certainly different for her, and one that still left her feeling a void of the personal, physical contact that she used to have with him. And this was a cross, another cross in the life of St. Mary, among the many crosses that she carried in her life. The sorrowful solitude after the death of her son. So there is, there is a solitude in which there is a share in, passion, in the passion of Christ, a solitude which is bearing the cross of being alone of looking to God in hunger and desire for communion and not yet grasping it, right? which is natural because we are still in the flesh. Right? There's a beautiful phrase of the Psalms which is repeated in different ways. Your face, O Lord, do I seek. This is a cry that comes from our heart when we want to grab hold of God. We want to be united with him in perfection. We want to see him face to face. Your face, O Lord, do I seek. 
Your face, O Lord, do I seek. It's the, the constant prayer that accompanies us in our life. So what is this prayer? It's a, it's, a, it's a cry that comes from the solitude of longing, of hungering, of thirsting, of desiring for something that won't be fulfilled until we leave this world. Padre Pio, the great mystic of the Roman Catholic Church, who lived and died at the same time as St. Pope Carolus VI, one of his biographers and the, the brother monks that lived with him said, for many, death is a sorrowful event. For Padre Pio, it was like a release from prison as a long-awaited journey home. His life was completely oriented toward attaining heaven. This is always the, the language of the mystics. They, they welcome death because of the pain of separation, because of the pain of longing and desire. And so they welcome the moment in which their, the fulfillment of their desire will be realized. Again, Padre Pio, early in his life, wrote a letter to his spiritual father, Father Augustino, and he said, Living here below is wearisome to me, my dear father. It is such a bitter torment to me to live in exile that I can hardly go on any longer. He wrote this as a, as a young monk, and he still had many, many years to live. And he already felt that exile. I want to go home. I want to go to my father's house. And St. Mary had that longing, and Pope Carulus lived with that longing. And if we cultivate that desire for God, we will have that longing. And it will be a time sometimes of, of, of a solitude which is a cross. So finally, all of these elements of solitude, right? Solitude for prayer, for intimacy, for engagement with the people, to hear the voice of God who calls me into a loving relationship, a solitude which prepares me to go and be a healing presence in the world, a solitude of suffering and carrying the cross with the Lord and being with him in Gethsemane, and a solitude of desire and longing and thirsting for the fulfillment of the promises of God in our life. I think all of these things we see very beautifully in the life of our saint. May his prayers always accompany us and uh, be this chapel and your prayers always be a joy to our community and to God be glory now and ever into the ages of all ages. Amen. Above every